Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode of Truth Tidbits as we continue reading through the scriptures this year. We're reading today again in Romans chapter 1. I would like to go through the book of Romans, and we have spent quite a bit of time in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 1. Today, we're going to pick up the pace a little bit and move forward a little bit faster. And we have covered this in depth. We saw in verses 1 through 4 how Paul introduces this book to us. He introduces himself. He tells us he's called to be an apostle, that he's separated to the gospel of God. And he tells us briefly in capsule form what that gospel of God is all about. It's all about Jesus who is Jesus. He's the royal seed of David, the royal son of the living God, the risen son of the living God. He tells us several of these kinds of things in verses one through four. Some have said to tell them what you're going to tell them, then tell them, and then tell them what you told them. And so in a sense, we see a little bit of that here perhaps at play because he has introduced in capsule form the gospel of God about Jesus Christ. And now in his book, we will see as we go through him develop that in great detail, because this is Paul's great treatise of the faith of Christianity, of the truth about Jesus Christ. So beginning in verse 5, let's, let me read, actually, let me read verses 1 through 12, of chapter 1. And I'll read verse 1 through 4 as part of our review and introduction to the rest of it, but we are going to look at verses 5 through 12 today. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. So let's discuss verses 5 through 12. Paul tells us here that that Jesus is the source for Paul's grace and apostleship. Let's look at those two words for just a moment. The grace that he's talking about here is a special endowment and ability 
for a specific job. In other words, Paul recognizes God has called me. He, I'm called to be an apostle. He's already told us that earlier. Separated to the gospel of God. He tells us that in the very first verse. So Paul recognizes that he is called out for a specific job. And now he recognizes and tells us that it's through Jesus that he has received this grace, this special endowment and the ability to do this job. It's also through Jesus that he has received his apostleship, his call to this specific ministry work. He was called out to be an apostle. He was called to spread the gospel and to plant churches and to go to places that had not heard the gospel before and bring in all that he could around the world at that time. And that's what he was doing. And in a sense, that's what the job of an apostle is today as well, is a church planter. Those who will perhaps be missionaries and go to unreached people groups, go to people that have not heard the gospel before, go to areas that need churches, godly churches established. And so Paul is defining for us here that Jesus is the source of this grace and his apostleship, this special endowment for this job and the job itself. He recognizes that it's not his. He recognizes that it's not his job. It's not his calling. It's not his grace. He also recognizes it's not about him. He recognizes it didn't come from him. It did not come from him. And that he is merely the recipient and the pierced ear slave, just like he told us in verse 1. He's the pierced ear slave willing to become the servant to his master. And whatever the master called upon him to do, he recognized now that was his calling, that was the grace given to him, and that's what his job is. He also recognizes his call. He recognizes that it requires obedience to the faith, that he himself must be obedient and live a life of integrity. He must be careful. He must properly be an example so that he leads people correctly because his influence matters. As he is planning these churches, as he's going to these new places where they've never heard the gospel before, they don't know what a Christian is. They don't know what it is to be a pierced ear slave of the Lord Jesus Christ and why someone would want to do that. They don't know how they're supposed to be called out, part of the ecclesia, part of the called out ones in the world, but not of the world. They don't know that. And that's Paul's job is to bring the gospel message to them and to teach them how to do that, how to live for Jesus. And so Paul recognizes he himself must be in obedience to the faith. He himself must be living a life of integrity and being a proper role model for them because he will have influence upon them and he must 
be careful about doing it correctly. He recognizes that it is all for Jesus' name and for his honor. He speaks about that here in verse 5. He talks about the obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Then he goes on and he says, guess what? I'm not the only one called. You also. You're called too. Among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Every Christian. You don't have to be the Apostle Paul. You don't have to be Simon Peter. You don't have to be John the Apostle. You don't have to be your pastor or your teacher. Every single Christian is also called of Jesus Christ. You've been called. You've been given some special grace, some special endowment, some special calling as well to serve in the body of Jesus Christ. And when the Lord reveals that to you and you discover that and you are then serving the Lord with that gift and in that calling, there's great fulfillment and great reward. God's blessing is upon your life. His Spirit helps us to do the work we're called to do and enables us to do it. And there's great reward in pleasing the Lord and in seeking to serve Him for His honor, for His name's sake. Hallelujah. Paul recognized here that this was not a one-man show. It wasn't about him. And he was only one among many. He had a specific calling and he rose to that challenge and did what God called him to do. But he also recognized that every other Christian is just as called to their ministry as well. And it's not about him. It's about all of us together, finding our place, serving in our place, and all of us doing it for Christ's honor, for the honor of Jesus Christ. He speaks here about to all who are in Rome. This was the Christians in Rome that he was talking to at that time. There was a church that had begun in Rome, along with in many of the other places like Galatia and Colossae and some of the other places. And so the Christian church, the Christian gospel had spread also to Rome which was at that time the capital of the Roman Empire. And so there was a thriving, vibrant church of the living God in Rome at that time. And he says all Christians, this can be taken for all Christians, not just those in Rome, but he defines Christianity and Christians, those who are truly servants of the Lord, believers in Jesus Christ and in Him only, no works, purely by faith alone. We are all beloved of God. Beloved of God, all Christians. Think about that. It means dearly loved. It means we're very close to his heart. We are tender to him. He has a tender, dear love for us. He says that we are all called to be saints. Every Christian is called to be saints of the living God. Now, when we say the word saints, depending on the religious background that you have, you may or may not be thinking what the Bible, the biblical definition of a saint is. 
A saint is one who is set apart for the Lord, set apart as holy to the Lord, set apart for his special purpose. And that's why this applies to all Christians. They are the holy ones. They live a lifestyle of holiness set apart from all the rest unto Jesus, set apart for the service of Jesus. That what it, that's what it means to be a saint. And some will claim, even after they're saved, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And I don't like that particular phrase, and I will explain now why I say that. We were sinners, but we are now saved by grace. And according to the scriptures, and according to much of Paul's writings, that makes us now a saint. We may not think of ourselves that way, and it certainly has nothing to do with any religious denomination's definition of sainthood. It's simply the biblical definition, which means that we are now set apart for the Lord. We are in the world, but not of the world. We are that subset that we talked about earlier that is still living in the world because the world needs us. The world needs the message that we have. The Lord wants us to expand that subset and bring others from out from in the world into that subset. But we're not of the world. We're set apart for Jesus Christ. We're set apart for his work. We're set apart for his worship. We're set apart to serve him. That's what a saint is. He says grace to you and peace from God our Father. Grace, may that empowering, enabling, powerful grace given by the Holy Spirit of God be with you. And that peace, that wellness and wholeness in all of life is what he's wishing for them. Then he goes on in verse 8 through 12. And he says, first of all, he wants to thank God for them, their, their faith. Notice this, they have a reputation for their Christian faith that is known throughout the world at that time. They had a reputation of a faith-filled church. Even in the Roman capital, they were a group that loved Jesus Christ and were part of a real thriving church that was still there and was alive. Their faith was what was reputed in the world. Others around the world at that time knew of their faith. They had a good name. Proverbs 22.1 tells us that a good name is to be chosen above riches. A good name, a good reputation of faith. In verse 9, Paul shares with them his desire and his heart for that church and for all Christians, that he remembers them and he prays for them. Paul had a fatherly heart. The heart of an apostle will be like that. He'll remember the churches that he's planted. He'll remember the people that he's brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to and how they've received it and, and begun to grow in, in the faith. And Paul was praying for them. 
And that's what he's telling us here. He'll tell us this in other epistles as well. He's praying for those that he has been able to reach in serving the Lord. And so he says he is making mention of them in his prayers. He also tells us in verse 10 through 12 of how he wants so desperately to come and see them. He tells about how he's been hindered prior to now, even though he wanted to come. We'll look at that in the next episode. But he is desiring so much to find a way to prosper in a journey to get to them. I want to consider this because he says, I'm making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Now notice he's desperately wanting the Lord to prosper his way to allow him to go to them so that he can impart and share with them some spiritual gift that will help edify and strengthen them in the faith. And then he goes on and he says, so that both of us, we can mutually strengthen and encourage one another. That's the heart of the apostle. That's the heart of Paul. He wanted to see the churches being built up. Do you see? We're called by Jesus. We are called by the Lord to, in the Great Commission, to go and make disciples. We bring the gospel to people, but we don't stop there. We have to make disciples. That means you teach them. You come alongside and you help them learn how to live this walk of faith, how to live as a Christian, how to love Jesus, and how to live it out in your practical daily life. That's called making of disciples. That's what we're all called and commissioned by Jesus himself to do, is to make disciples. And that's part of what I know our ministry here at Covenant Truth Ministries is devoted to do, is to teaching in an effort to help build up the body of Christ so that we are strong in our faith, so that we know and understand the Word of God, understand what God asks of us, understand what God wants for us, understand the promises of God to us and how these scriptures can apply to our lives. That's in the making of disciples. And Paul's desire was to do that. He wanted to have a prosperous journey to make it to them so that they could all be encouraged in the faith together and so that he could help build them up in the things of God. Not long ago, I was reading through in our Truth Tidbits the book of 3 John, and we did that over two or three lessons, even though it's a short book. But I want to read a couple of verses from there again because they are very applicable to this passage that we're talking about here where Paul is desiring to get to them so that he can impart godly things to them and help build them up in the faith. Notice in 3 John, it only has the one chapter, verses 2 through 4. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. 
And as we talked about when we were looking in 3 John, that section may have been taken out of context and applied in other ways. But the context it's talking about there is that what prosper means and what John's desire for prosperity to those he's reaching with his book is that they would prosper in the Christian walk, in their Christian journey, that they will make progress in Christ, that they will be growing as a disciple and coming along strong on their Christian journey because he's all talking about walking in the truth and he has no greater joy than hearing that those that he considers his children. He's an old man, the last living apostle at that time of the original apostles. And he wants to see people prospering in the Christian walk, prospering and walking in truth. And we looked at that word prosper then, and we found that it's only used three places in Scripture. Here in Third John, here in Romans, and one other place when it's talking about Paul is using it. I believe it's in one of the books of Corinthians. And he's talking about how he wanted that they would prosper so that they would have to give in the offering toward those in need in the church at Jerusalem. So every time we see this word in the New Testament, it's talking about prosperity in godliness. It's talking about prosperity in our Christian walk and prospering in our journey so that we can invest eternal things in other people. That's what Paul is wanting to do here. He's wanting to prosper in his journey, make it to them, and be able to impart to them things of eternal value that will build them up and make them stronger in the Lord and to share in fellowship with them so that both are built up in the things of God. That's what this prosperous journey is all about. It's for eternal investment in their lives. And I want to finish and conclude today with one final passage of Scripture. And it's found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. In Matthew 6, 19 through 21, Jesus is speaking here and he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is speaking here and telling us to invest our treasures in heaven, not things on the earth. He's saying here to make eternal investments with our lives. How do we do that? We do that by investing in people the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of the living God. We do that by investing godly things in them, things that are of eternal value, things that will help them grow stronger in Jesus Christ and become true disciples of the Lord, mature at his coming. Paul tells us in Colossians, that's why he's preaching. That's why he's warning people. That's why he's teaching. That's why he's laboring. 
is so that he can present them mature at the coming of the Lord. God wants us to grow up in him. He wants us to be strong in him. And he wants all of us to be investing in one another's lives toward that same end, making eternal investments in one another. And that's what Paul was all about and spent his life doing in spite of all the hardships that he faced. I hope and pray that you also will make eternal investments in people's lives for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for his honor, and to help them so that there will be mutual fellowship and mutual growing up and in edification in the body of Jesus Christ. Friend, lay up your treasures in heaven by investing eternally in people's lives here for the kingdom of God's sake and for the name of Jesus Christ and for his honor. I pray that this has been a blessing to you and Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Truth Tidbits. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.